This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year the low. There are, of Who course, is the Stephen Bradbury of He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing Mr. the grocery shopping can take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam, and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, good day, Adam. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Hey, uh, we should tell the good people out there, in case they missed it, that we are now doing Super Saturdays here on Comedian vs. Economist. We've teamed up with the guys over at Equity Mates, Get Started Investing, and the lovely ladies over at You're In Good Company uh, to put together a whole series of podcasts uh, covering superannuation which is brought to you by Superhero. So if you're interested in superannuation, and we think you should be because we think it's probably time that the people started paying a bit more attention and waking up to their super, then make sure you check out the bonus episodes. started last Saturday. There's another one coming this Saturday. There's everything you could possibly want to know about super across four podcasts. Four, Thomas. Amazing. Wow. Yes. Anyway, on to today's show. And this week, we are going to delve into the CVE mailbag, which for those of you younger than 50 is uh, a mailbag is where we used to carry DMs in uh, before we had the internet. Uh, So yeah, we've got a couple of listener questions to get to a bit later on. Um, Inflation data was out last week. So strap yourself in. We're going to ask Thomas all about what the inflation data tells us. We're going to be talking mandatory vaccinations with a very special guest a little bit later on the show. But first, the big news out today, Thomas, we've talked about acquisitions before on this show, but today was a big one. Talk us through it. Yeah, biggest in Australian history. This has blown up the financial press uh, today. It's Mm. huge news. Uh, Square, the US tech giant, has bought out or plans to buy out Afterpay. Ooh, $39 billion, I hear. Yeah, $39 billion. Yes, yeah, so the deal's pitched uh, to $1.26 around that mark. Um, it was closed, share price closed on Friday at $0.96, cents, uh, sorry, $96, so that's a 30% gain. So, yeah, the, the deal's at a 30% premium to the trading price, which it sort of popped in today on Monday. So, yeah, big jump. Yeah, big, big success story for a little Aussie battler on the global stage, punching above its weight. As it were. The best quote I saw was from uh, Mengji Lu on Twitter who said, Square buying afterpay in all stocks is the ultimate demonstration of how, of how buy now, pay later works. Um, <laughs> because they, so they, they, have, they have bought it all in Square stocks. Is that right? Mm, yeah, that's right. So no cash down, just a swap for swap. Brilliant. So what does that, uh, 
how, how do we view this, Thomas? Is this just more money in the system? Is it uh, what do we make of this this big purchase or acquisition? Yeah, so I th- well, I think I think there, there's three stories that that are emerging that I, that I've sort of clocked. Uh, the first the first is the obvious one that it's a vindication of the buy now pay later business model. It's a vindication of uh, afterpay in particular. It's Square coming around to recognise the writing on the wall for the, the disruption to finance sector that Buy Now Pay Later has created is here to stay uh, and they want to get a piece of the action. And it's it's a great news story, good news for um, Afterpay in particular and its founders, all great stuff. So, yeah, a lot of the, the naysayers about Buy Now Pay Later are now licking their wounds and the proof's in the pudding, Buy Now Pay Later is here to stay. There was a lot of naysayers. A lot of naysayers. A lot of short sellers got pretty burnt. Yeah, that's right. So is this a... Well, you, I mean, remember, like, we, it's $1.26 now. That's the, that's the what Square's pitching. But it got up to $1.6... Uh, sorry, not $1.126 is what Square's pitching. It right. was up to $160 in February. So it's been on, you know, down a good whack from February. And everyone thought that that was sort of the bursting mm. of the buy now, pay later bubble. And... Yeah, so now people are saying, well, now that wasn't the case. Right. So just to, just to clear that up for the listeners out there, it's $126. You did say $1.26 earlier in the show and you've just corrected yourself there. So I just know that we've been, we've been caught out mm. before <laughs> doing some pretty ordinary maths. So Yeah. We're pretty fast and loose here. At so, all right. So we're talking $126 <laughs> share price, which is incredible. If you bought into Afterpay, mm. you know, five years ago, yeah, yeah. Like four bucks or something, yeah. Or even when Tencent bought like a, tw- like a 10% holding in May last year, they right. were paying $20 a share. So it's up, up you know, up 6x from where they bought it yeah, in, right. in just a year. So, yeah, huge, huge growth story for, for Afterpay. And and that's so like all the headline stories in the AFR and the financial press is sort of that's that's the line they're running. Good news story. Up you go, little Aussie battler, doing great. Um, <laughs> is that what attracted Square to them? Do you think? Up you go, little Aussie battler. I don't know that factored into Jack Dorsey's. <laughs> Although you never know with Jack, he's he's a wild one. He you might have gone. Do, I love do. this this yeah. Aussie battlerish trait about this company. Nah, so I'm sure they wore the Akubras to the yeah. pitch meeting. <laughs> he might have just gone, it's, good, it's a good fit. Squares, we've got four corners to a square, but paying four, brilliant. It's a, it's a match made in heaven. That, that yeah. could have been the rationale for, for Jack to, to do it. We'll never understand these things, Thomas. Like, yeah, but that's, that's, so that's the dominant story, but it's not the only story. So the, the, uh, the second story is that this is ringing the bell for the top of the buy right. now, pay later bubble. Uh, and saying like it's there's a lot of players coming into the market now. So PayPal's in the space now. I bought something on eBay the other day and just got unsolicited, got a prompt to like just pay it in four easy installments. Oh, right through PayPal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I normally mm. that it just popped up as a thing. I didn't even ask for it. <laughs> did you did you opt to pay in four installments for your three dollar ninety adapter? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> about the only things I bought, eh, mate? Yeah. So there's the big there. So the, so the so there's some big guns coming into the market. It's also some the same argument goes that buy now pay pay later is just glorified lay by. And the only reason it sort of was able to get a beachhead in the finance industry is that uh, the traditional banks were shy about offering credit to people without mm. giving a credit check. Like they, there was a regulatory barrier to doing that. Um, the buy now, pay later players came in and just sort of just ignored that and started 
you know, this is the story goes, just dishing out credit willy nilly, like there's no checks on whether you can afford to your four easy instalments or not. Um, you know, the bank's saying at the commission, it looks like credit, but, you know, has a different name. So whatever. But anyway, so the business model sort of established. And but that means that the, the big players in the space who've been sitting on the sidelines are now like, well, I can if, if you know, if we're allowed to just go go for this now, well, we're just going to go for it. So I think so that that's sort of the argument. So consolidation's inevitable. It's kind of inevitable that smaller players are probably going to get bought out by bigger players. Not all the players are going to survive. You think like with you know PayPal and Apple and a range of other and the you know the legacy banks getting involved, they can't all survive and can't all carve out a niche for themselves. So consolidations on the card, but can it be like credit cards? I mean, can't we've got every every financial institution and you know even others all offer a credit card? You know, Qantas has got a credit card, Woolworths have got a credit card, haven't they? I mean, everyone's kind of can offer a credit card. Can everyone? We just end up that it becomes a payment model, and everyone just has this pay in four. I don't, maybe someone will come out with pay in eight. I don't know, and everyone will be like, oh, "Wow, we didn't see that coming." <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's right. It, become, it I mean, becomes part of the pay. I mean, so so Square has a has a wallet offering that they, with seventy million users, and that's sort of the idea that they can now offer that to their users. But I think that's probably where it's going. It's just like you know, you, you could buy it on credit cards before now, or your 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 banking provider is going to give you a an afterpay option, a pay later option. Then it just kind of becomes a technology acquisition, doesn't it? You just go look, we're just going to buy. Everything that Afterpay has built around their their model, and I guess they're obviously a huge user base now. And I think Square are saying we can take mm. this and and make it even huger in huger, um, even bigger in the US, um, which is where I think Afterpay we're looking to target next. Mm. So I don't know. Is is it just it's just a technology purchase, like a, a sort of I guess it's the whole business, isn't it? But well, maybe. I mean, it's like Square's got seventy million customers. Afterpay's got sixteen million. Like, I don't think. I don't think they're just. I don't think it's, they're acquiring customers. I think it must be some some tech involved there. I guess. I don't know, but I think consolidation is probably inevitable in the space. That means that margins will get crushed. The sort of the big sort of profits, uh, super normal profits, are probably a thing of the past. And so, some people are saying that Afterpay founders are cashing out at exactly the right time, just to sort of. Mm. And PayPal looms in the rearview mirror. So well done, lads. I think is that's that story. But it's not the only story. The third story is that yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. The third story is that the buy now pay later bubble has just been eaten by the US tech bubble. And so the idea here is that with all the money printing that we've had, with all the super cheap money, um, that's created a bubble in tech. So some of the tech stocks are just looking super bubbly. And I shouldn't say that a bubble implies that there's no fundamentals. Like a squadrillion dollars worth of money, fresh money pr- mm. printed off the presses is a fundamental. Like that's not a that's not an irrational thing, but it's feeding its way into these, these you know, eye-watering valuations. But that's giving the, these companies a lot of money to play with. And they're looking around. What can we do with this money? What can we? Where can we deploy this capital? What can we buy out? What can we get involved in? Um, and so then the tech bubble's coming after the buy now pay later bubble and going like, oh well, these guys are making some money. Let's mm. let's get a bit of that action. Yeah. And so that's sort of the third story. It's like, and this is this is this is a term we heard after the GFC and the money printing that followed, where everything, all the valuations, has got to be stretched and wacky. That we had the everything bubble, that. All old markets were but looking bubbly and stretched, but that's just kind of what happens when there's that much money, you know, sloshing around the system. Right. So it could all it could all end in tears. 
Yeah, possibly. Mm. Mm. But only if you only if you subscribe to that thinking of that it's all a big bubble. Yeah, I mean, again, like it's, it bubbles, not the right term, I think, because you know, typically a bubble means there's sort of some irrational exuberance. People are getting caught up on it. People mm. are buying with total disregard for the fundamentals and and only buying. Be- because the price is going up and they want to sell later. You did use the word squadrillion, though, which always gives me <laughs> cause for concern. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, having a, that much money in the system is a fundamental. It's it's um, it's not it's not just irrational humans running, getting you know, exhibiting herd-like behaviour. There's a there's a fundamental factor behind that. Mm. And then maybe this sort of this this sort of works itself out that that um, Square establishes itself. Gives it gives a buy now pay later offering to its customers and that helps it grow its base and establish itself as a you know a serious financial player. Yeah, well, we'll see. watch this space uh, or watch this square, as it were. All right. Well, look, if you're interested in knowing more about the buy now pay later space, uh, the guys over at Equity Mates Investing Podcast they did an episode on Zip. Uh, and they've done episodes in the past about buy now, pay later. There's one on the Ausbiz TV show that they do. Um, just search Equity Mates Buy Now, Pay Later, and you'll find some stuff on there. As well as check out Facebook and Instagram for both Equity Mates and the You're in Good Company podcast. They've both got some guides up there uh, on on uh, Buy Now, Pay Later. So make sure you check those out. Uh, inflation data came out last week. Thomas, uh, and I always regret mm. asking this, but can you tell me more about inflation, please? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so remember this is one of our premier data highlights of the, oh, of the calendar. It's top shelf. <laughs> <laughs> top shelf. <laughs> top shelf data, the inflation data. No, it's, it's important because the RBA is an inflation-targeting central bank, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, inflation is the number one thing that it cares about. Record low inflation rates are, are based on the premise that inflation is undershooting the target band. Remember, RBA aims to keep inflation between two and three percent. So we've been, you know, undershooting that for years now, and so that's why inflation is so important because it, it determines interest rates, which is the price of money, and money is the yep. fuel of the system. So, yeah, so big news, um, and big news in the sense that it spiked up to a thirteen-year high of three point eight percent. Mm, yeah, big jump. The last time it was that high was back in 2008. Right. And at the time, the treasurer, Wayne Swan, said that the inflation genie was out of the bottle. Okay. And and the RBA hiked up interest rates to 7.25%. So there's a few things to unpack there. The RBA is not obviously not going to hike rates tomorrow up to 7.5%. Are they talking about raising interest rates? No, no. They're, no, they're pretty relaxed about it. So, so what you've got here is base level effects, really. So when... Because remember, inflation is a percentage change year on year. So we're comparing the June quarter with the June quarter last year. All oh, right. And the June quarter last year, 2020, was the height of the COVID yeah, crisis. Yeah, yeah, the whole stuff going on. So the big, the big things which which um, fed through to the inflation that three point eight percent was childcare. So childcare became free in twenty twenty. It's now returned to its normal price, but that means it's sort of gone from zero to whatever childcare is in the, in the in the basket. So right. that's a big increase. Petrol prices collapsed. Remember, oil went negative at some point in in mid twenty twenty. Yep. Um, so petrol prices have rebounded. Not high, but back to normal. So that's a big in- input. And then you had home builder home builder grants, which brought down the cost of construction. They've unwound um, 
and that's pushed up the price of construction again back to normal levels but because of there's we're tracking the movement with the with the annual price change that's mm. given us our um our inflation rate of 3.8%. But there is a there is a measure called underlying inflation um which strips out these one-off price changes and that was that's that's was 0.5% in the quarter and just 1.6% for the year. So that's what the RBA will be looking at. The RBA will be looking at that 1.6% and they'll be like, whatever, <laughs> no worries. I can't wait for the press conference where they gather, yeah. gather a crew of journalists for the announcement. We've crunched the data. We've had, look, had a look at the underlying inflation. Eh, whatever. Yeah. As you were. Yeah, so 1.6%. So that's yeah, under the 2%. Still, still not in the target band. So there's not a lot of heat in the system. I mean, if you look at the, if you look at the past six months and annualize that, so rather than going year on year, just say, like, if, if the pace of growth in the past six months continued for another six months, mm. what would we get? The answer to that is 1.8%, which is the biggest you know, six-month annualized rate in over five years. So it's starting to pick up. We're seeing a little bit of lift. 1.8% still below the target band, so nothing to worry about just yet. Yeah, so start, we're starting to see a little heat, but, yeah, nothing nothing to worry the RBA just yet. So they, they might – is it likely to kind of cool off again next quarter or, ne- you know, whenever we look at it again? Uh, yeah, but I mean, it, yeah, definitely come down from that 3.8%. Yeah. And, and, and it'll anchor around that that trim mean, that, that underlying inflation rate. Mm. Um, yeah, so we still – like the true rate of inflation we still think is running around 2%, less than 2%. And, yeah, the headline figures will probably move towards that. Right. So the, we talk about inflation as being, you know, it looks at the cost of the the basket of goods, right? Consumer price index, yeah, that's what that does, yeah. That's the one, consumer price index. We actually had a – I was going to get to these emails a bit later, but we have one here um, from John Citizen, his name is, which I'm not sure if that's his real name. I hope for his sake that it isn't. Otherwise, his credit card is being shown everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> You should really get on top of that. Stop letting people include his credit card in their ads. But he he sent in. Is it time to include housing cost in CPI? Mm-hmm. We're not. We obviously don't include that in the basket of goods. That's a huge thing. The, in, I presume when he talks about housing cost, are we talking? Yeah, this, this is this is a big this is a big issue in economics at the moment because house prices, established house prices, are not included in the basket of goods measured by the CPI. Right. Yeah. So rents are rents are included, and new construction costs of building a new house they're included, mm. but established dwellings and land prices are not included. And the, and the ABS's view is that land is an asset, not a consumable, so it shouldn't be in the consumer price index. Right. Um, yeah, but it's 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 a bit of a tenuous argument because we the CPI is we're trying to capture the cost of living, and buying a house is part of the cost of living, and so we saw the ECB recent, the European Central Bank, they recently announced that they were going to start looking at house prices in their inflation measure, but they haven't announced how they're going to do that, but they just they said they want to. Mm. Um, in Over in New Zealand, the government has asked the Reserve Bank of New Zealand to consider interest, so consider house prices in their, interest, in their interest rate decisions. So it's not directly including it in the inflation measures, but wanting to bring it into the, into the sphere of debate. Yeah, but so there's the idea like you, you 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 drop interest rates because consumer price inflation is low, but that creates asset price inflation, and and booming and booming house prices are sort of the, the clearest evidence of that. So what happens if we do include house prices? Has anyone done that before? 
Well, actually, funny you should say that because I actually did it this week. I had a look. Oh, look at you, head of the curve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just thought I'd include it. So what what I did is I gave house prices a twenty percent weighting. Construction costs are like twelve percent, no, eight percent. So I added another twelve percent, based that on established house prices. Um, and what it shows is that the headline inflation is three point eight percent. That's the highest in in thirteen years or something. But the house price adjusted inflation rate that I created running at five point seven percent which is the highest rate in 20 years. And it's kind of an intuitive point. We know like house prices are just going bananas. So if you take like the last three months of house price growth in Sydney and you annualise it, so assume that the pace of growth over the past three months is continued for the next nine months to mm. give us a year, that gives you a, a house price growth rate of 30%. Yeah, wow, that's huge. So house prices are just, yeah, they're just tearing away in Sydney right now. So it's a huge price growth. And so, yeah, so it's obviously going to be much higher when, when house prices are growing like that, like they're just, they're just on a tear away. Mm. Yeah, and, so, and I, think it's, I think it's relevant. I think it's particularly relevant for young people who are trying to save a deposit because your deposit increases proportionally as house prices increases what you've got to come up with as a deposit. So it's a cost of living for you. you, you you're trying to save for a deposit. House prices going up means life's getting more expensive for you. You've got less free money, so it, I think it is particularly for young people. I think it is a, a really relevant thing to be to be bringing in, and yeah, it's. A, I think I don't think we can get away. You know, it was easy to easy to sort of sideline it when house prices were cheap and it wasn't such a big story, but now they're so expensive and and such a, a burden on budgets. I think it's probably time to, to include them. All right, well, it's time to hit the streets again. I guess we've got lots. Of, we've been doing a lot of protesting these last few weeks. This mm. this week we're going to be protesting to include. Housing cost in CPI. Um, thank you, John Citizen, for your question. <laughs> I'm just going to tap myself onto a freedom project. Include house prices in the CPI banner. <laughs> uh, John Citizen, he actually did also mention, he said, after hearing Thomas's voiceover in the Virgin Money ad, he might have another career waiting in the wings or maybe a side hustle at least. So apparently, apparently not only is he interested in housing being included in CPI, he also liked the dulcet tones of your voice in a, in a money ad. So there you go. Uh, not alone, by the way. We have had some other people. I've heard some people refer to you as the white Morgan Freeman. That's a, that's a big call. <laughs> yeah, but a big call. Uh, apparently, big call. apparently people, people like listening to you. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just because we record so late at night and I'm <laughs> largely drunk and tired by the time we get around to it. <laughs> Got that. Sleepy vibes. Uh, I mean, it's not like I've never rung you when I've had, you know, having trouble getting to sleep and just asked you to explain quantitative <laughs> easing or something to me. <laughs> oh, out like a light in no time. All right, let's, uh, let's take a, a short break there. We'll get a quick, quick word from this week's sponsor and be back with more after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back here on Comedian versus Economist. And Thomas, we are now going to talk about mandatory vaccinations. Big news out of the US the last week or so. Uh, Facebook, Google, Walmart, Disney World. In fact, the whole Disney company are now talking mandatory vaccinations um and look we thought we're not equipped to deal with this kind of this kind of big issue ourselves so we thought we'd bring in an expert for the first time ever on comedian versus economist we've got a very special guest joining us um couldn't be more special in fact please welcome uh our dad colin <laughs> to comedian versus economist g'day dad g'day boys good to catch up with you at last <laughs> yes. <Been a> while. <laughs> indeed indeed so um look we're going to look at this issue uh of companies mandating vaccinations uh and we thought dad you're a you're an hr manager with what about 90 years experience <laughs> in the business um so who better to be across uh all of all of those the kinds of issues that this raises um than yourself have you heard anything within the industry so far around mandatory vaccinations? Well, people are talking about it or they're writing articles about it because it's perhaps expected that it will happen at some stage. And I think uh, we're wondering how it's going to happen. But uh... And so the big question is, can, like, is this, is this legal? Can companies force you to be vaccinated? If a company's going to do that, it has to have some authority to do it. So it could have a legal authority. It could come, come through the employment law could come through other law uh, done by government, if you like. Perhaps the weakest form of authority it could have, it could be its own policy and procedures. Do you know how you have those policies and procedures they, that vary from time to time? Never read well, them. Mm. Never, <laughs> well, perhaps, perhaps the employer might say, we now have a policy about that. But there's some. it's a bit problematic, that second part. Right now you've got the public health orders coming out. And they are very powerful. So uh, when, the, when the public health order comes out and directs the company to do something, there is uh, no wriggle room there. So they're the, they're the same ones that um, are making people, say, stay home, for example. So that's a public health order. When we hear about cities going into lockdown because of COVID, that's a public health order that says stay home. Um, and so you get fined or you get whatever locked up in worst cases if you breach that order. Yeah, the, the, the uh, I think the... Army might knock on your door, Adam, and say, "What, what are you doing?" But uh, yeah. do they do they do they need it? Do they need like I'm thinking with the QR codes and the check-ins and things like that? Like, is that a health order? Yes, it is. So companies are directed to have their uh, their check-in uh, square box, whatever it is, um, uh, QR, QR code, code. Yeah, on the on the door mm-hmm. or somewhere. Um, and you're expected to use it. Um, similarly, employees going to work now generally have to uh, check in to the workplace with, through the QR code. Not sure what it's like down in the other southern states, but I see up here in Queensland a lot of people seem to ignore it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't been watching too closely on what other people are doing, but certainly I'm, I've been scanning in. But an employee, an employee can't go, no, nah, I'm a sovereign citizen. I'm not, so, I'm not doing that, for example. <laughs> Uh, well, I can share a story with you. We had one the other day who didn't want to use to, to use the QR code because he was concerned about uh, privacy provisions and he didn't want his data going to China. I don't know how he knew that was going to happen, but uh, were you yeah, using TikTok to check? 
there are people who've got concerns about it, and then if that's the case, then they have to have a uh, lawful and reasonable direction to do it. Right. All right. So talking about companies making COVID vaccinations mandatory. So this is in the in the private sphere, right? So you talk about needing it to be lawfully backed. Um, so these are private companies that are making it, what, a condition of employment? Um, so there's a difference between mandatory and compulsory, right? Uh, explain that to me, Adam. Where did you get that from? Don't, don't trust him with his good words. <laughs> he doesn't really know what they mean. <laughs> so coming back, coming back to what you say, uh, you can put whatever you, conditions you like, if it's reasonable, on your employment mm. contract. So if you're signing someone up for the first time, you can say, well, it's a condition of your employment that you agree to these provisions. And, and if the person right. signs it, then it's... Uh, it's applicable. And if they don't sign it, that's just a choice they're making to say, well... Yes, that's so, right. So, so what about people who, are, people who are already employed, though, like people who signed up to an employment contract? And if you're working at Disneyland, you're jumping around in a Mickey Mouse suit all day, happy as Larry in your job, and then Disney says, look, if you want to keep working here, you need to go and get a COVID jab. Can you say no? Can you respectfully decline or, or shake your head, obviously, because Mickey can't talk? Yes, well, you can decline, and that brings with it probably disciplinary uh, provisions. I think so. So, if you're going to if you're going to do that, though, that comes back to that term. I think you talked about lawful and reasonable. So, mm. it's fairly problematic as to whether that's reasonable. You can't just say, "Well, it's COVID nineteen, and we think we think it's reasonable." You've got to have some reasonable reason for saying that. Who determines that? I would think if it was an employment law matter, it would go to the Fair Work Commission, hmm. which is uh, generally the, the body that over, overrides employment relationships. It's when you get into the disciplinary procedure. So you say, I'm going to give you a lawful and reasonable direction to do this, and if you deny it, we're going to take disciplinary action, which could go all the way to summary dismissal because you can't employ someone who's not going to follow a reasonable and lawful direction. I don't know. If people have, jo- have already joined up, they get into a whole debate about whether it's reasonable. That that seems the reasonable bit seems the bit that could be correct, correct, and that's why it's problematic. And it's it's a bit like horses for courses. What's reasonable for one business won't be reasonable for another, and so on. So it's a bit hard to have a, a blanket mm. sort of ruling to say this is going to be reasonable. There is, in general terms, if uh, you might not know this, but you can have an employment contract which talks about your job and what it is, and that's, that's the work you do. But the, your employer can still give you a lawful and reasonable direction to do anything. Right. Now the, now, the reasonableness there comes out like, well, have you got the skills to do it? Yes, you have. Can you do it safely? Yes, you can. Am I directing you to do something illegal? No, I'm not. And am I paying you the right amount of money to do this? Yes, I am. Well, what's your problem? Right. So this could this could does this open the floodgates to other mandatory conditions like you know you you must wear a loud shirt on Fridays which yeah, no problem no problem for you guys up there in Cairns obviously <laughs> I just picture you all walking around wearing Hawaiian shirts all the time but um, does, of course we do that <laughs> does, no collars no, coll- no collars and ties up here Adam but I haven't seen you in a collar and tie for many years. But no, I mean, is this is this more is this is the chance here that if if this goes through, then we could start to see other social changes being pushed through 
in this way, like whether it's, I don't know, the one that comes to mind for me is is smoking, you know, like could, could companies go, look, we're not going to let people smoke at work anymore or around the workplace um, or uh, or we're not going to have people who smoke, um, you know, we're not going to employ anyone who smokes. Like can we go down that path or? Well, see, I'm, so you run into discrimination laws then. Am I discriminating against this person because they're a smoker and if I am, then it's got to be a reasonable decision. So there's some reason I'm doing this, not just a social uh, whim, if you like. Mm. And that's where the reasonableness comes into it. So is it reasonable to direct me to wear an Hawaiian shirt? Um, <laughs> well, it is maybe if I'm in an Hawaiian bar and I'm serving cocktails or something. Um, I can understand that, but ge- generally no. So is there, is, there, is, there a, is there a big difference with the US in the sense of like so big, a lot of companies are coming out and do this. We haven't seen any of it talk in Australia. Like is there a different regulatory system there that means it's possible in the US and it's not possible here? I'm not familiar with the regulatory system there. But if you think about it in Australia, what's our uh, vaccination rate at the moment? I think we're about 16%, aren't we, or 18%. Mm, mm. So if you, if you, what's the practical, the practical position here? Is it? Is it practical to, to direct everybody to be vaccinated at work? Well, no one's going to do that because we can't physically do it. I mm. think it's going to be interesting in law when we get to Christmas time and 80% of the population are vaccinated and there's a, if you like, there's a critical mass that supports vaccination. Where do we stand with the other 20% that uh, are not vaccinated? And will we be looking to then make that compulsory say well because it's now available it's we've got a good supply of vaccination there's no logistical impediment to you being in vaccinated now you might have some other reasonable issues you might have uh, religious issues or health issues or whatever and that's fine you can go and get evidence to to, to prove that but generally speaking do we want to settle with just 80 percent of our workforce vaccinated in the u.s the federal government has said they're going to make it mandatory for all the all government employees. Is that something that we're likely to see in Australia as well? Like we've talked about the private industry, but is the is the government possibly going to head down this route, this path? Do you think? Well, the federal government's an employer of the Australian public service. That's what you're talking about in America. So, so they're, they're that's their own employees, and they're putting out they're, they're they're putting out a lawful and reasonable direction through some method to say this is what you've got to be, and that's got to stand up to the employment law presumably the same as everybody else does. So will we head down that path? I, I think we will in time. As I said, once once the, there's a critical mass of people vaccinated and that's what everyone's done, then I think there'll be a move to to uh, get everybody vaccinated, yeah, subject to other discrimination. All right, cool. Well, Dad, thanks for joining us on Comedian vs. Economist. Uh, I hope you uh, are suitably honoured as the first guest we've ever had on this show. I hope you've had a good time. Thanks, boys. Good catching up with you. Nice one, Dad. Thanks, Dad. All right. right, And look, before we go today, I just want to get to a couple of listener emails that came through during the week. Uh, First of all, David from Hobart. G'day, David. And g'day, Hobart. Uh, Shout out to everyone down there. The other week, Thomas mentioned something about monetary policy, which I think is the name for what the government and Federal Reserve do to help stimulate or temper the economy in different ways, e.g. official interest rate. I've also heard people talk about fiscal policy in the same way. Is there more to this than just the official cash interest rate and are these two things the same? Thomas, would you like me to field this one first? No. <laughs> <laughs> you have little faith. 
No. I thought we were, I thought we were going to keep this tight. No, no. If it's a, no it's a, yeah, he's got it right. Monetary policy is interest rates, also money printing now in the modern era. It's everything the RBA does. RBA is in charge of monetary policy. It's controlling the money supply and the price of money. That's what monetary policy is about. Mm-hmm. Its companion in the space is fiscal policy. Fiscal policy comes out of Canberra and it's government spending, taxes and transfers and that sort of thing. Hmm. Yeah, so every so simple rule of thumb, fiscal, we're talking about Canberra. Uh, monetary policy, we're talking about the RBA, which is in Sydney. All right, very good. There you go, David. Uh, and Patrick sent us an email. And Patrick asks, is there any possibility that with unemployment figures dropping, those who aren't in the labour force are motivated to start applying for jobs, while those who have been applying unsuccessfully for a long time become demotivated and stop applying? therefore causing the numbers to seem consistent, even though those people applying change. So what do you reckon, Tom? Yeah, no, this is, uh, he's, he's spot on there. So there's, there's a phenomenon called the encourage worker effect or the discourage worker effect. Oh, yeah. um, so remember the unemployment rate is it's a percentage and it's the number of unemployed people uh, as a percent of the number of people in the labor force. But the number of people in the labor force changes. So to be in the labor force, you've got to be actively looking for work or actively working. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when the, when the economy is improving and the job market's improving, people will come out of retirement or they'll, you know, if they stop looking for work, they'll start looking for work so the, the labor force grows. Or if the job prospects are terrible, then, then they'll leave the labor force. And so that, that tempers the the number of people in the job, which, which, which mutes the changes in the unemployment rate. And so the key thing to look for is the participation rate. So the participation rate is the number of people in the labor force relative to the population. Mm. Um, and that gives you a guide to, to what's happening with, with that encouraged or discouraged workers. And so recently we've had, we've had a strong labor market, but so the unemployment rate's been coming down 4.9% in the latest observation. That's going hand in hand with an increase in the participation rate. So that's actually a really good news story. So if you get a decrease in the part in the unemployment rate, but it goes with a big decrease in the participation rate, then you think, okay, well, job creation is not actually that great. The labor market's not doing that awesome. But if you get what we got, which is a fall in the unemployment rate alongside an increase in the participation rate, then you know that the economy is going great guns. Right. Awesome. Well, there you go, everyone. Keep up the good work out there. <laughs> Yeah, bravo everyone Good job Uh, Alright, that does us for this week Um, Thanks a lot for tuning in Big thanks to our dad, Cole For uh, joining us all the way from sunny Cairns Yeah, it was a bit of of fun having him on the show So uh, thanks once again for tuning in We look forward to doing it all again with you next week We'll see you then Comedian vs Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.